0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy.
1: Well, hello, Hackaroos. Mike Murphy here. Welcome to the podcast. I am joined by the one, the only, Dr. Robert Z. Gibbs, spin doctor, that is, an unlicensed profession, and he'll introduce our special guest here as we chew over... Well, a pretty sleepy week. FBI, open up! Oh, Christ, they're here, Gibbs. Burn everything fast. Oh, wait a minute. I've been handed a note. It wasn't us who got raided. It was the esteemed former president of the United States. I, I have to give a quick uh, hat tip to a very funny guy, a writer for Late Night with Seth Meyers named Mike Scollins, who put out the greatest tweet ever, which just said, script format, Baron doesn't even look up from his Xbox safes and back (laughs) as the feds run by so robert hello who do we have i know we went we went to the oracle today for because the politics the stakes are high
2: we want to hear from a pollster to the superstars somebody who's been doing this for decades bouncing around the south uh for a lot of that time but somebody whose name is recognizable and his client list is too Joining us the very honorable Wit Ayers. Wit, welcome.
0: Hey, Wit. Robert Mike, great to be with you both, always entertaining.
2: You know, we, we also got a lot of commentary. I think the last time we had you on a few months ago, that you have easily the best podcasting voice of anybody that that we have in our guest circle. So that is uh, that's also going for you today.
0: Well, thank you, Robert. Sounds like I might have missed my calling about going into radio, but well, it's too late you, to make that switch now. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have the the golden pipes here. Uh, which we're always fun on the polling conference calls on campaigns. We work together because nothing's better than hearing good numbers over the phone and the wit airs voice. On the other hand, when the numbers aren't so good, it has a way of punching through the static. But Whit and I have worked <laughs> together on a bunch of stuff and uh, he's a great American. And thank you for joining us again, a true friend of the podcast. So, I I hear something happened, Uh, we made a little joke about it at the top of the show, down at Mar-a-Lago. It seems the Federale has paid a visit to the former president's uh, home. Now, you know, luckily, none of us are lawyers, and we have no idea what we're talking about legally, but we can practice hackery at law here and talk a little bit about, with what little we know, much to come, uh, what the politics of this could be going forward. Witt, you want want to give us your kind of headline on it, and then Robert, and then I'll I'll chime in as well.
0: Well, the the FBI raid raises a whole lot more questions than it answers. I find myself thinking, what must they have been looking for that would have justified this hugely symbolic act of raiding the home of a former president of the United States? Uh, It's hard for me to believe that there are just some classified memos that they were looking for to send to the archives that could have justified this move that really is symbolic. Uh, And so that raises the question about what it is they really were after. And I don't think any of us knows, but we will find out eventually, I suppose. Robert, what's your take?
2: I totally agree with you, Ed. I mean, I'm, I'm, I spent a lot of time last night, as I'm sure all, both of you did, thinking about this and then woke up this morning and had the that first thought was exactly what you just said, Whit. Surely this isn't about a few pieces of paper uh, that are classified. Not that the Presidential Records Act isn't tremendously important, but it has to be something bigger or there has to be something big in that subset of, of papers that, that we just don't know about. And I, I think it's um, it is a stunning and extraordinary move. Um, you know, long ago we left the realm of the normal in politics with Donald Trump and and entered into the not normal anymore. And I would say a knock on Mar-a-Lago, the 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 search warrant execution at uh, a former president's residence is uh, is one for the record books. Um, what it means politically, I, I can't imagine. Except I do know that the world found out about this. Not surprisingly, from a, a screed tweet uh, victimization from the former president, who very quickly tried to start shaping exactly what the events were here. There, it was not an executed search warrant; it was a raid. They broke into the safe. They, you know, they violated his beautiful home. So that you can see already that there he's trying to conjure up exactly the way he wants to frame this. Uh, and, I, and I think really galvanized Republicans around him. And quite frankly,
1: judging from some of the reaction, it seems to have worked. You know, it's funny. I've seen pictures of the interior of that club. And if I were there, my first instinct as the door crashed open would have been, oh, hell, the decorator police have finally found us. But <laughs> I, I'm with you guys. You know, let's play this thing back a little bit. The federal prosecutors had to go to a judge, federal judge, and they had to hand him a piece of paper or her. And. The judge, this being a former president, had to read it and basically say, holy shit, and sign the warrant because, you know, this sets all kinds of big wheels in motion. It's not done. Uh, You don't normally in American history prosecute former presidents. So I can't believe this is because he stole a a classified CIA stapler or something. And remember, we've been through all this before with Hillary because there was a lot of talk over her emails, which some of which were classified, that this would disqualify her from running for president because that act that Robert referenced basically says you got to forfeit your office. But the standards for the president are set by the Constitution. So a lot right. of legal scholars, I think the bulk of them, think it wouldn't stop somebody from running. And if all it is, is that Trump you know, threw the menu from a secret dinner with one of his dictator pals in a legal box Trump's going to be able to play an endless violin that his base will believe that this is just totally persecution. So, you know, if, if this thing could be the beginning of a big win for Trump, but I can't believe the prosecutors uh, and 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 the legal machinery that's looking at him is that that clumsy and dumb to blow up all this precedent over a small thing. But we don't know yet, right? We got to
2: no, we, we don't, Murphy. See. And to pick up on that a little bit, I mean, look, I don't think. Particularly if Democrats have been watching this Justice Department for the last two years, yeah, caution. Yeah, I, I just I don't see that that Merrick Garland would just rush into this without understanding what it all meant. Particularly, and I think particularly the FBI as well, given the fact that I think in hindsight they realized they became very much part of the story. Uh, in 2016. Yeah. And then, not to mention, you know, an independent federal judge has to sign off on this warrant. So, th- this wasn't just
1: somebody. Yeah, some you know, minor bureaucrat deciding, aha, I can finally get Trump. I never yeah. liked him. Maybe Rachel Maddow will call me and be my friend now.
2: Right. This almost assuredly had to be signed off by the attorney general. We know it was, it had to have been signed off by a judge. Look, I'll be honest with you, Murphy, if we really wanted to see the warrant, There's one guy who could show it to us. Right,
1: right. There's
2: one guy in possession of it who who could tell us who the judge is and also the laws that that judge believed were probably violated. And that's one Donald J. Trump.
0: It does give you pause when you see the reaction to executing a search warrant. If we could possibly go through an indictment and trial of Donald Trump without massive violence— it it yeah. really does raise that prospect, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, particularly if the charges in the case are not something regular people, even in the Trump base cohort, understand. Yep. You know, rather than some technical law, because then it'll seem trumped up. I thought, to your point, Robert, it was both prudent and interesting that DOJ did not tell the White House. So Biden can be a million miles away from this. Uh, as a defense against that, which is inevitably going to come from the president and his supporters, including, by the way, Kevin McCarthy, who literally, it was like a roadrunner cloud, how quickly he moved to say it's all trumped up, we're going to investigate and all that. Do we think just politically, regardless of what side you're on, was that a, was that smart? Or was it because he's got his eye on primary voters and caucus politics in the House? Or was that a little hasty? Because I don't think Leader McCarthy has any idea what's really in this either.
2: My guess is it's actually both. I think. Look, I, I think Kevin McCarthy has is looking out in the distance and, and he's looking at one thing, and it's it's slightly hazy, but it becomes clear every day, and that's the speaker's gavel, and he is not going to let anything get in the way of him taking that, and he's sure not going to do anything to let Trump get in the way of being able to take that, and so I'm actually not surprised. Terribly by what he said, I think the 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 surprising thing is, to your point, how quickly he said it uh, and without any regard, and again, I think it goes to my earlier point, without any regard to what actually is behind it. But again, I, I think this is, I think Kevin McCarthy's acting and many of the Republicans are acting like they always have with Donald Trump, which is they may see an off-ramp from him. They may actually understand the long term of an off-ramp uh, with him. But they're not in any danger of moving over and getting on the exit they're, they, because they know if they do, they're fighting, this, they're fighting this all by themselves. And we know now almost everybody that's crossed Donald Trump in Congress is going to be looking for a job in the fall.
1: What, what do you think? I guess McCarthy's got to be, from
0: his point of view, team leader on this. But boy, that was quick. It was quick and uh, it stands in stark contrast to leader Mitch McConnell's reaction, which yeah. has so far been nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll get back to you in the fullness of time. It's like the old Bob Dole joke about term limits. Reporters used to ask him when I was working for Dole, Senator Dole, you've been in Congress a long time. What do you think about term limits? He says, well, I, I've appointed Strom Thurmond to a special commission. He's going to get back to me in a few terms. <laughs> so <laughs> I think Mitch is very shrewd. Why rush? He's also yeah. got the harder playing field. We're going to get to that in a little bit about the Senate races versus the House races. So,
2: Mike, don't you and Witt both uh, also believe that this is? I mean, obviously, this is a, a, a huge wild card or potentially a huge wild card into the elections. And you know, McCarthy's using this to stoke the base. Trump's are certainly using it to stoke the base. One, do you think it helps Republicans to have this sort of tension out there? Does it get some excited? And two, what do you think it means for for Trump? I mean, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, this is good for, you know, DeSantis and whatnot. It seems to me like everybody's rallying around Donald Trump, not a not not playing the Mitch McConnell card and looking for somebody else.
1: Well, you know, we we will find out because we don't know how big it is. Again, it could be a big blunder that helps Trump. I don't believe that because I don't think they're that dumb, but I've been wrong many times before betting, you know, against the possible dumbness uh, in one of these things. I I would just say I'm of the view that Trump is fading. I believe that for a year. I think he is not new. And I think there's Trump fatigue. And I've seen data with, you know, 80% say, oh, loved him. He was great. And, You have that 80% then say, you know what? We ought to move on to somebody else. Just don't criticize Trump. So I believe in Trump fatigue. I think Trumpism has infected the party. Um, If you're anti-Trump, there plenty of people have taken on Trump and survived. There's just nobody who votes to impeach him, which is the traitorous act that survived. Even Jamie Herrera-Butler last week, who a lot of people thought was politely strong enough to make it through, uh, looks like still votes to count. She's in tough shape in her reelect. Dan Newhouse out there is the only last man standing who looks like he did prevail. And then we all saw Peter Meyer in Michigan with a half million dollar assist from the cynical department of the D trip uh, defeated. So I, you know, short term, Trump's still Trump and this could rally the troops. It's back to the point I tried to make earlier about what is the thing here? You know, Trump should let us read the warrant and we'll find out if he borrowed an official paperweight uh, with a Dakota ring in it or... It's And with Trump, you can't rule this out. It's something a lot bigger. I've heard a lot of whispers about North Korean stuff. But again, they're whispers. We, we need transparency here and we just got to let it cook. And out in voter land, this still is going to look, unless it's a breakthrough charge like spy versus spy in Washington. One crowd's out to get Trump. The Trump crowd's out to get everybody else. I think that, that piles on the fatigue people, even the Republican Party have with Donald Trump and that yearning to move beyond. But we don't we don't really know yet. And meanwhile, inflation and food prices are out there hammering on regular voters. So this is an awkward transition, unless anybody else has something to add till we learn more, uh, to uh, Joe Biden's um, pretty legitimate, big legislative win.
0: Will it amount to a hill beans in the midterms, or is it for historians to talk about? It would have sure been a lot better for the biden administration if this had happened a year ago or 15 months ago yeah hallelujah um you know back when they first had a deal on the infrastructure bill if they'd actually passed that rather than linked it to a build back better bill that was never going to go anywhere if you believe mansion and cinnamon what they say uh so many of the views of joe biden are are baked in right now um he clearly had a better week than he's had in, in quite some time, but I'm not sure that it's enough to change the fundamental view that he's just not quite up to the job. I don't know, Robert. Do you disagree?
2: No, I I, I think right now, certainly in the short term, I, I think that's probably where I land. Uh, you know, and Murphy and I wrote about this in our newsletter at, at hacksontap.bulletin.com this morning. I, I think the history books are going to look at the last six weeks uh impressively uh and but i'm not sure at least in the immediate term it's going to change a lot of votes in the voting booth um having sat in the white house when uh we did healthcare reform before anybody could feel healthcare reform um even though Democrats had been wanting this to happen for decades and decades and decades, it obviously didn't drive any excitement among our own supporters. Um, so I'm, I'm cognizant to what Murphy said is the one thing they can feel right now are prices, inflation, and, and a, and a tricky economy. What they can't feel is anything in this bill thus far. I do think one thing is important to, to make note of. And that is, we watch, and, and I'd love to get your take on this, we, we, we watch a lot and we've been conditioned to watch this generic congressional ballot question. Um, you know, if, if you could pick who should run Congress, they ask voters, Democrats or Republicans. I think it is interesting that in mid-November of last year, the, the sort of two streams crossed and more people began to pick Republicans than Democrats in wanting to control Congress. Um, that congressional ballot measure, if you look at the average on RealClearPolitics or 538.com in the last day or so, is now back to being tied. And so I, I think that's interesting to look at. Obviously, what we we haven't seen is any real change or uptick in Biden's approval number, which I think has to probably happen uh, for Democratic fortunes to change a lot. But I do think it's interesting that the congressional ballot uh, question has not just
0: tightened, but largely evened. And I think you can credit the Supreme Court with that change. Uh, this, <laughs> yeah. the, Dobbs, the Dobbs case really has uh, re-energized Democrats, not to the point where they are more energized than Republicans, but to the point where now that they feel like there's at least some reason to come out and vote, and they sort of evened the enthusiasm index, which is part of what has evened the generic ballot. Um, so the generic ballot is is interesting, but if you look historically, there's a much stronger relationship with the president's job approval and his party's performance in in the midterm elections. I mean, and, and the difference is dramatic, you know, if the president's job approval is above 50%, the average loss of seats is 14. If it's below 50%, the average loss of seats is 37, and Joe Biden is down near the Bottom of that list of presidents who have job approvals below 50. So I I still think uh, the odds are are very good. Republicans uh, pick up the House, Uh, the Senate, which I know you want to talk about, is a completely different matter.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that will be interesting to watch over the course of the next few weeks is does this do. Anything to Biden's approval rating, and I think to your point, lots of opinions are baked in. They've been baked in for you know more than a year and a half. I think we've seen at other points in the Biden presidency um, where victories have happened, and, and the approval rating trajectory for him hasn't changed. And I think you're right. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to watch that because to me, that's that's going to be the number um, that that really bears watching because I, I think it's going to be much more. Uh, indicative of what the results are going to
1: be. I look at it kind of like a a balance sheet. So he gets a bunch of legislative wins. And if you step back, it, it, it could be, the historians will say it's the end of the Rodney Dangerfield, can't get no respect presidency. Because he's done a lot. The CHIPS bill is a big bipartisan accomplishment, a good for national security, a lot of jobs here. Um, the infrastructure bill, as Witt mentioned, which got crowded out by the attempt to be FDR all over again. Big political mistake, in my view. Um, and then stuff they can fight on, like prescription drugs. Uh, so what I would say is I don't think the politics of it are a question of when people start feeling a, a better life because Joe Biden, the Democrats, found a way to spend you know a zillion bucks. But they do have hammers to use in a campaign. And that's been aided by some of the stumbling around in the Senate. They can go run the veterans thing where the Republicans really kind of got over their skis and screwed up for a week and gave the Dems a good bumper sticker issue. They've got the insulin cap, uh, price cap. There's a good hammer there. Now they've got drug prices they can go talk about. Uh, and they've got climate. Which is, as Whit will tell you, in the data, really important to younger voters. And, and the big generic problem that, uh, that the Dems have in midterms is younger voters don't participate at as high of a level as they do in a presidential race. So if the Roe thing and the climate stuff can give them a way to energize their younger voters to make them do something abnormal, which means really get them riled up to do it and start showing up in midterms and you get a turnout surge, like you kind of saw in the Kansas primary uh, where that referendum on Dobbs was on the ballot a few weeks back, you know, that could start to give them a toolbox to get some traction into the fall, despite all the headwinds for Biden. And the other thing that I think is a benefit is in the democratic world, they've been beat down so long, bad polls, bad press, this, now they can kind of look voters in the eye they've got something to say and it'll put a little more fighting spirit in them. Now, you know, if I were Biden, I, I'd rather have inflation go away and gas prices and food prices drop than anything else. But you can see them—you can see them getting at least. Something to work with now they didn't have before. And maybe they can, you know, get Biden up to the high 40s, not sitting at four zero wherever he is today. So a lot of what ifs, but at least they have tools now, in theory, anyway, that they they haven't had for the disastrous, you know, last eight or nine months.
2: I think that's right. I want to pick up on something you said that I thought was obviously very interesting. And you, you know, you think that congressional ballot question was closed by the energy created around the Dobbs decision. And I think one of the things we keep talking about is, you know, for for 50 years Republicans were the dog chasing the car, and now they've now they've caught the car. What is your advice to a Republican right now? We've seen, you know, Indiana went and passed a very restrictive law uh, a couple of days ago, and and you know, I think to some people surprised you. Eli Lilly, some of the other bigger companies come out and say, hey, we're going to need to look for job growth uh, in our company to build that in different states. What, do you, what are you advising Republicans right now who all of a sudden, it's not about whether or not we should have Roe versus Wade, it's what the law of the land in their state is, is going to be? Robert,
0: for 50 years, ever since Roe versus Wade. The vast majority of Americans have not been at the extremes on the abortion issue. You know, there's a small, small percentage that believes abortion should be banned in all cases with no exceptions. There's a small, small portion who believe abortion should be allowed in any cases, including after fetal viability. But the vast, vast majority of Americans believe abortion should be legal in some circumstances, but not others. And that really has not changed as far as the big picture goes since Gallup first started asking the question after Roe was decided. So the danger for both parties on the abortion question is going too far to the extremes. Uh, and in the case of Republicans, it's passing abortion bills with no exceptions or maybe just an exception for the life of the mother, but not rape or incest or the health of the mother. And, and that's a position that's opposed by more than 90% of Americans, the, the no exceptions position. So there's a real danger, I think, uh, in some Republican legislatures. Of, of going way too far in that direction. And as we saw in Kansas, it can come back and, and bite you at the ballot box. Yeah, I
1: think there are a bunch of these legislators, and we've all worked with, with politicians our whole careers, uh, who are in safe districts who are saying, no, no, I've always been no exceptions and I always won. But they never had a campaign about it. It was item 28 on the palm card. And so Bingo. The, the electeds tend to lag the electorate. So now we're, we're testing this, as the Wall Street guys would say, mark-to-marketing it. Uh, to find out what's really there in, in moments like Kansas. And some of these, like, in, Indiana state legislatures going to find out they're way, way over their skis. And, and the question is, will the leadership try to avoid the fight the Democrats are praying for? Um, uh, you know, or do they have to go get clobbered in a whole bunch of elections to understand this is not the referendum referendum you want to brand the party with. And I just want caveat because I've had this experience in my corporate work. You know, politicians need to understand that the corporate America is much different than it used to be because we're in a brain economy. So it's all about recruiting talent. And you have a hotshot 26-year-old master's degree in chemical engineering student now. It, it's not the person you were hiring at Shell 30 years ago. Now they want to know about the corporate policy on social justice. They want to know about corporate citizenship. And if you don't if you don't have a case to make there, you're you're not going to get the employee. So it is hard for Eli Lilly to say, hey, brilliant pharmaceutical uh, uh scientist, how'd you like to come to Indiana? No, 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 thanks. So it has a material impact on their ability to recruit. And if they can't recruit, they're not competitive, they move. So so it's just these these states that get into prior territory. They affect the bottom line of their big employers, and there aren't enough my pillow factories to make up for, a, you know, Lilly uh, pulling its focus out of Indiana. So there, there's a hard lesson, uh, I think, coming because it, it, it's not 1962 where the companies could give a damn. Uh, it was the employee's job to show up and work, not to have an opinion about, you know, where they're located or anything else. And so there's a bit of an awakening coming, and there have been hints in other states uh over this, but I think Indiana's in for a lesson and other states that go down this route are as well.
0: You can sense some real tough ads coming featuring women who've been raped and gotten pregnant as a result of the rape. I mean it, it that can be emotionally really, really powerful and you can see it coming. Yeah, totally. And young men,
1: you know, and I think Whittle chuckle at this because the pollsters know that some argue the most, if not almost the most, pro-choice cohort is younger men. Yep. So you know, too often this is covered as purely a, a you know only women care. The fact is, you don't get to ninety percent without everybody caring, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and so anyway, is this is trouble? And you know, I'll I'll just add a caveat: the Dems are trying to pick a very savvy fight, and the Senate's going to take it up after the recess when they're back in September over whether to codify gay marriage or not, which is another social wedge issue, and particularly of younger voters, is very powerful. And the Republicans may really go down the elders' footloose path on some of these things, and again, give Democrats another big tool.
0: Well, it's really important for our political leaders to understand the distinction between abortion and gay marriage. Uh, The gay marriage issue is over and done with, for the most part, in terms of public opinion. Uh, it looks, the public opinion on gay marriage looks a lot like public opinion on interracial marriage. You know, back when we were in elementary school, a grand total of 4% of Americans thought it should be legal for a black person to marry a white person. And those lines crossed in the 1980s. And now people look at you like you're nuts if you tell them there was one time in our lifetime that it was illegal for a black person to marry a white person. The same thing is happening with gay marriage the lines crossed in the george w bush administration and it's pretty well over now including a majority of republicans who believe that gay marriage ought to be legal so you know i i think that issue is pretty well done in terms of public opinion and i don't think abortion will ever be done in the sense of a consensus position i think our grandkids are going to be arguing about abortion And now, a word from our sponsors. You know,
1: Gibbsy, it is... It is hard to see a grown man swoon like a teenage girl over a product, but we have both seen our buddy David Axelrod get all goo-goo eyes at the very mention of the word Helix Mattress. Axe had one of these things fall off the truck when they became one of our valued sponsors, and he immediately grabbed it. And we thought, well, you know, he loves free stuff. This is it. But we told him, try it out for us. And he is in love with this thing. He did the box experience where you open it up and it comes to life and unfolds itself. and He sleeps on it to this day, and he won't frankly shut up about how fantastic the darn thing is.
2: He loves it. He swears by it. Look, Helix is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. And I think that's what got Axe. The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models. Presumably that's what Axe uses. A mattress for big and tall sleepers and even a mattress just for kids. So how will you know, Murphy, that your Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You take the Helix sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under...
1: Two minutes. And that's what the finicky Mr. Axelrod did. He got online. It took him about a minute and a half. He zeroed in on the type of mattress that works for him and it was the perfect match. And, you know, he was a little cocky about it because he reminded us that the Helix mattress has a 100 night risk free trial. So you get the mattress. It's tuned in on that quiz to what you want. It comes in a box. They ship it right to you. No bunch of guys banging their way upstairs, knocking everything over because you open the box. It expands into its shape. It's very high tech. And then you got a hundred nights to either fall in love with it or return it for a full refund. I mean, it is the perfect mattress deal.
2: Everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models, With a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. I don't even want to know if that's what Axe does. Plus, enhanced (laughs) cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, Murphy, they can get it to you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support.
1: So Gibbs, we're putting him to sleep even on a bed of nails now with all this prattling on about a wonderful mattress. So just go to work, hackeroos. Go to helixsleep.com slash hacks. Take the quiz and get a wonderful American-made, by the way, Helix mattress, complete with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And remember, you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. You don't love it, but we know you will. But if you don't, they will pick it up for you and give you a full refund.
2: Don't just take our word for it. Helix Sleep has over 12,000 five-star reviews. Take the quiz. Get a mattress that'll change your life. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders, and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash hacks. With Helix, Better Sleep Starts Now. Many months ago, Mitch McConnell said the only only group that could pre- prevent Republicans from controlling both branches of the legislative or both bodies of the legislative branch were Republicans and, and you know to your point Whit, if they if they get into this fight around gay marriage that is largely solved uh they're going to complicate their pathway it takes them away from talking about the issues that they know are salient and and really working well and I thought it was interesting you know Mitch McConnell did an interview with Fox uh, a few days ago and was asked uh. You know, and I think this is probably one of those questions that a host asks a a senator, and it's probably normally 98 percent of the time it's a throwaway question. You know, who's going to control the Senate after the election? And I think the uh, I think it was Brett Barrett. Fox got a little bit of a surprise because Mitch McConnell said, well, it'll be probably one or two either way. and, And I'm not sure which party. And, you know, I, I don't I don't think Mitch McConnell does – I've watched him. I don't think he does anything by accident, right? Nope. I think this was yeah, – he, he, he knew exactly <laughs> what he was trying to say. He knew exactly who he was trying to say it uh, to and, and about. Uh, let, let's dive in a little bit because we've talked a bit, particularly on both the podcast and the newsletter, about these Senate races. And it does feel well, – Can I
1: interject for one yeah. sec, Robert, just to set the table – the House, do any of us think the Democrats, you know, there's a long shot always, but have a really good shot to, to win control of the House? I would say nope. I think that almost no matter what happens is highly likely, not certain, but highly likely to go to the Republicans. Anybody disagree?
0: No, I agree with that. It's just hard to see in the current dynamics and how close the House is right now that Republicans don't take control.
2: Totally agree, and I think the the key difference, one of the big differences, we've all been involved in Senate races, is you can create a little bit of your own atmospherics, right? You're gonna, and particularly these days, you're spending, you know, gobs and gobs and gobs of money, and and you can create something that's different than a House race. I kind of feel. In a house race, you're in a canoe without a paddle. You just go where the river takes you uh, most of the time. And uh, it's not the case, I think, in a lot of these Senate races. So let's dive in there uh, a little bit on on some of these races. I mean, I know we've seen uh, Oz has struggled quite a bit in Pennsylvania. I think J.D. Vance doesn't seem to be quite um, hitting it on all cylinders. Uh, in Ohio, obviously, I, I think surprisingly for me, you know, in, in Georgia, looks like right now in some of its polling, it's ticket splitting, uh, which is a, a phrase we should probably uh, ask people to Google. Ticket splitting used to happen; uh, it uh, it's become extinct. Uh, you can look it up. It's probably in the Smithsonian somewhere. Give us your take on some of these races. Well,
0: what you said seems to be true about uh, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania and J.D. Vance in Ohio. Now, you need to understand half of my office are died in the wool Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, I am not allowed to say a single negative <laughs> word about Herschel Walker. Uh, he is a god in Georgia, uh, but the phrase not ready for prime time jumps into my head when you see some of the things that uh, – Herschel Walker has said. So those are three races that could be a lot more competitive than you might have thought initially. Um, You've got Ron Johnson in Wisconsin and the Democrats trying to nominate some kind of crazy far lefty for his opponent. Um, But there are a number of those Senate races that I think Uh, as Leader McConnell said, are going to be real close and it could be one seat or the other, uh, one way or the other by a a seat or two.
1: You know, Georgia and Ohio are an interesting juxtaposition because both have Republican candidates with a certain amount of challenge to it. Ohio wants to elect a Republican senator. It's gone from being a real flippy blue state to a medium red state now where the Republicans have a real advantage. But Congressman Ryan is running a campaign that Democrats should study because it's a little bit alien to the normal playbook. He's running as kind of a centrist with a trace of populism. Uh, he's running a blue collar friendly campaign uh, yep. and he's made it competitive, despite the fact that on Election Day, he better be well ahead because that is a state that I think that will bump red. And despite what may be the better campaign, J.D. Vance might be just elevated by the tide. Georgia on the other hand has become less red more blue so uh Herschel Walker doesn't have the headwinds but there are some there that is not a blue state it's just it's more striking distance and wait you're an expert on Georgia you probably want to address all this but it's definitely evolved that the the Democrats have less of a generic disadvantage to overcome with the growth of Metro Atlanta. And then you got Herschel Walker, who has been a challenged candidate to say the least, but I'll take the other side of the trade for a minute, despite almost suicidal gaffes. And we keep finding out new bad stuff and not a lot of candidate skills. He's still in the race, you know, and, uh, uh, Senator Warnock, the newly elected Senator, you know, the freshman running for reelection has money and a full press campaign, which I think is more adroit than, walkers but he hasn't been able to open a lead and again he's got gas groceries and biden out there in the way so whit and i are both ancient enough to remember years where the midterm instinct is so strong that candidates should normally bet heavily against get drifted in i mean look at some of the republican senators who made it in 80 uh so you know i i believe the weak candidate thing is a problem but this is the kind of year where it might be less of a problem than people think
0: yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the the tide at this point uh, is still running very much in the Republicans' favor, but candidates still matter, and candidate quality still matters. I mean, in, in 2016, most of the Republican senators who won ran well ahead of Trump. I mean, Rob Portman was light years ahead of Trump in Ohio. Marco Rubio won Florida by eight, and Trump won it by one, but... You know, to me and Burr, I mean, that year, most of the Republicans ran ahead of, of the top of their ticket. So it's entirely possible for that to happen, given the candidate quality. And I agree with you about Tim Ryan. I mean, he's actually been running at J.D. Vance from the right, you know, talking about tariffs and protecting jobs and, and all of that stuff. But the fact remains that Tim Ryan has voted with Nancy Pelosi 85% of the time, and those ads haven't run yet. And I guarantee you they will run before this is over.
2: So let me, I want to ask you a couple of questions, Witt, on that. And but but before that, I want to make sure you understand as an Auburn Tiger fan, this podcast is a safe space to say anything disparaging about <laughs> the Georgia Bulldogs or Herschel Walker or or really anything about that whole football team. So if you feel there's some pent-up anxiety that your office won't let you in tone. Come on in, the water's fine. That's all I'm going to
0: say. Robert, I've got to go back to my office one of these days, okay? And I would like not to get shot when I walk through the doors. So Herschel Walker is a god,
2: period. Right. <laughs> well, we tried. We tried. Uh, um, but if you're sitting in those campaigns, with, what are you telling Republicans and, and what do you think Democrats, what are you telling Republicans for these last 13 weeks? And what are you telling Democrats, how do they stay this off? How do they really defy political gravity? And do you think the Biden number has to change by a certain amount before that political gravity can be defied?
0: It depends upon whether you're talking about House, Senate or governor. I mean, mostly I, I the Senate races. Yeah, mostly yeah, yeah. Senate the, races. the Senate races. You know, I, I, I do think that you that senators can develop an independent reputation uh, and run a little bit ahead of the top of the party. So it just depends on the state. You know, I don't think you're going to be able to run 10 points ahead of, of, yeah. of Joe Biden. Uh, the basic message is to make the ref, make the midterms for Republicans anyway, a referendum on Joe Biden and the Biden administration. And unless something significant changes about Biden's job approval, that's going to be a pretty powerful message focused on inflation and immigration and all the, and Afghanistan and all the problems that Seem to have, have cropped up uh, during the Biden administration. They don't make it. Don't make it a choice.
1: Yeah, that's totally true. It, it's like the analogy I use is you. If you work really hard and you're really good, you can build a six foot break wall. But if you got a twelve foot wave coming, <laughs> you're still getting you wet. Know, <laughs> yeah, you're still. You're, you're still. You're going to go out to tide. Uh, you know the other race I'm watching, which doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's kind of fascinating to me. And this is one where. Uh, if I were working the race on the Repub side, I would be watching those that Kansas experience and I'd be worried is Nevada or Nevada. We get mail either way. I'm going to say Nevada, um, where incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto has been seen as one of the most vulnerable uh, Democratic incumbents. Adam Laxalt, famous ballot name there, uh, is, is running. But little quiz question. Witt probably knows this, but On just about any poll question you ask on the life choice, abortion, etc. issue, Nevada is actually more pro-choice than California. It's about the most pro-choice state in opinion in the country, definitely in the top three. And that is one where the Roe issue, in my view, could completely change the terrain of the race, because if the the pro-choice vote there gets activated – uh, it is a uh, just massive numbers. Even even you know, outside of the ninety percent number, that's almost everywhere on no exception. So that's when the Republicans aren't bragging about as much now. Uh, but that's one where you really contest the whole row politics. So I'm keeping an eye on that as well as the Biden stuff we talked about in Ohio, uh, and Georgia. Um, there's also New Hampshire where I am right now at the hacks on tap Northern Bureau where it's about (laughs) 117 degrees here and the ceiling fan just died. So if you hear a thunk, that's me passing out. Um, the, uh, uh, the, you know, there was a lot of hopes here, but they couldn't get the governor to run. And Chuck Morse, who's a local, you know, kind of well-liked Republican state senator, has not seemed to get much traction. Are there any other races you guys are watching or maybe you're working one that is particularly interesting to you? By the way, another state that's deceptively pro-choice is Florida. It's no Nevada. It's no no uh, California, but it's in the top 12. And so far, Rubio hasn't had a race. But that's another state where the Democrats will have at least one good swing to make from you know behind but what what else are we watching that we care about there's obviously a lot of drama in arizona now after the primary and mark kelly's formidable
0: yeah Uh, missouri missouri yeah missouri
2: i think you touched on two of them i mean nevada and arizona to me those are ones particularly i I think nevada probably is the most endangered democratic seat and and i think if you were to tell me on election night how that race ends up I'd give a pretty good guess as to what the rest of the night would seem like for each of the parties because I think obviously it'll be a later race given the time zone, but I think you know she's run a really good race thus far. Laxalt hasn't run a particularly great race thus far. Uh, there's also a gubernatorial race, to your point, where, where, where choice and abortion will come in. I think Arizona, you know, to, to Witt's point around running uh, ahead of the ticket, you know, Joe Biden wins that by a little more than 10,000. Mark Kelly wins it 51-49. And, and that one, in some of the public polling that we've seen, looks like an eight to 10 point race right now. Again, I have no doubt that that will get a lot closer uh, but it doesn't seem like um, it doesn't seem like that one is quite where you'd want it to be. And I would say there's two other races that I think Republicans hoped put to put on the radar screen uh, because of to your point, Murphy. They thought there was going to be this enormous tidal wave. They thought maybe Washington, and they thought maybe Colorado. And thus far, I don't think we've seen any evidence that that Patty Murray or or Michael Bennett are in significant amounts of trouble. In fact, Patty Murray ran uh, last week in a primary in which everybody runs together. She's the only Democrat, gets 54%. So while it's not 60%, it doesn't seem to me to presume that that tidal wave is going to create some huge, enormous amount of
0: change. I tell you, there are a lot of Republicans who... Breathe a real sigh of relief when Eric Schmidt won the nomination yeah. in Missouri <laughs> instead of Eric Greitens, because uh, that really could have put uh, another seat back in into very very serious play. But it looks like Eric Schmidt has a pretty good lead there. But but the state that I'm most fascinated by is Arizona because that's going to tell us a whole lot about the future of Trumpism in America with Kerry Lake and Blake Masters at the top of that ticket. Uh, there's there's something in the water in Arizona, and it, it's not good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. And and she, I mean, for all Blake Masters' troubles, which are significant, and Kelly's a formidable opponent, the governor's race there is going to be a cinder block around his neck, just like Pennsylvania with Mastriano, who's you know basically out looking for aliens with a telescope every night. In both cases, because you know Oz is already showing his own problems. But I, I agree, Arizona could be a real real test case along with Pennsylvania. Um, And Arizona, again, is a state that demographically is getting some building Republican, excuse me, demographic strength, Democratic strength demographically. But I'll tell you, their populism is alive and well there. Boy, that Arizona Republican primary electorate has, has been an early adopter. I mean, I've been wrestling with them for years. That's going to be quite a fair fight. It's almost a tragedy. It's in the Western time zones because uh, uh we won't get a lot of early news there, let alone with mail-in voting. But I you're right, that's one we should really watch. And then Robert, I have a fast question for you on Senate races and we'll close out the round here and get to the mailbag. Well, we mentioned it real really quickly earlier.
2: Uh, you know, today uh, Wisconsin, right, Wisconsin is picking that's where is, I was going. Right. He's gonna pick their nominee. Uh and I think, you know, by all accounts, uh Ron Johnson is in a is very vulnerable, is in a very toss-up race. And uh I, I think that one is gonna be again one of these ones where, you know, a very, very close race presidentially. If if you've got a political environment that's shifted 10%. That means you've got to have a really strong Democratic candidate to, to win that race.
1: You know, Witt is probably thinking this, but he's too polite to blurt it out. So I will on both of our behalf. What You're the right. hell are the Democrats thinking with Mandela Barnes? Because Johnson was the most defeatable Republican Senator And I think he's probably going to hang on now because they're nominating basically, you know, somebody who would look at Bernie Sanders and say, too conservative. Why couldn't the Wisconsin Democrats get their act together since you're clearly in control of the party? And it's ultimately your fault, Robert. You exactly. Walk since us I'm, through the I'm thinking pulling there. all the strings. Look,
2: I, I, I don't I don't think this one is out of the realm of uh, of of winnable by any stretch of the imagination. Former lieutenant governor clearly run the best campaign uh, of the Democrats thus far. Um, and, and I think is is going to run a, a really good race going forward. Whether or not, again, in a swing state or a, a really tough state, uh, can he win? I don't know, but I, I think he's going to run a really good race, and I think you're going to have a really,
1: really close campaign that's going to come down to the last couple of days. I'm almost willing to make a dinner bet on that one, but let's see who wins the primary uh, today. And I'm not a big Ron Johnson fan. He's uh, you know He's always – said nasty things about uh other senators I admire. So
2: well and I I think it'll be interesting too to watch what is the impact of of the governor's race there. Again, you've got another sort of Pence Trump uh in endorsement battle there. Scott Walker also endorsed uh the same candidate that Mike Pence did. So it it's going to be interesting to sort of watch what dynamics those play in the races affecting the senate races or or any of the other races like house or even some of the constitutional races
1: let me make a final plug and then anybody who has anything to add on senate races but uh and i'm self-interested here because he's a friend of mine and the only race i'm really involved in that's not a referendum is uh the super PAC but keep an eye on this wacko race in utah where the incumbent Republican Mike Lee is in some trouble. He's got pretty bad numbers. He had a primary with two opponents, but one was the dominant one, kind of a regular Republican, and he won it, with, but with about 59% of the vote. So we had, you know, four out of ten Republicans were looking for something else. Evan McMullen, former CIA active, you know, real-deal agent, Republican National Security Advisor, is running as kind of a middle of the road, protect the rule of law. I'm not for Mitch McConnell. I'm not for Chuck Schumer, but I'm Utah-oriented, independent. And the public polling there shows a single-digit race. Um, and, and Mike Lee's running positive spots now, trying to climb out of the hole he's in on a lot of issues, including being the one senator who seems to... Uh, Seems to find the Putin position pretty reasonable on on Ukraine and other uh, other things. So, you know, it, we're see the big deal there is there's no Democratic candidate. The Democratic Party decided not to nominate anybody because even though uh, um, Evan McMullen's a little too conservative for them, they think he's a hell of a lot better than Mike Lee. So, uh, McMullen, of course, ran as an independent against Trump in 2016. So. Keep an eye on that one. Utah always been a little quirky on some of these matters. And in some ways, you have kind of a hybrid Republican independent, disaffected Republican independent Democrat candidate running against a kind of base core, very Trumpy repub with bad numbers. So half the work is done. So anyway, that's uh, that's an interesting one to keep an eye on.
2: One race we didn't mention that I think we probably should just touch on is North Carolina. You know, I think, again, it's an open seat, Burr's uh, retiring and certainly, I mean North Carolina has provided all too many exciting scenarios for Democrats that haven't panned out the 2020 Senate race, uh, a couple of uh, presidential races as well. What do you, anything of, of note there?
0: It looks like Ted Budd has uh, an advantage over Sherry Beasley there. Uh, and you'd have to assume that you know in this environment uh, the Republican would win that one. Uh, You know, I think it would be a competitive race, but I I would be surprised if if the Democrat took that seat.
2: So let's do a little exit question. I didn't tell anybody to prepare for this, and I just kind of made this up 20 seconds ago. If you had to bet today, who's going to control the Senate the morning
1: after the election? Republicans buy one seat, but I wouldn't bet a lot,
0: like a dollar. I'm right with Mike. I think Republicans— take it by a hair
2: and i'm just going to mess everybody up and say you're going to wake up and it's going to be a 50
0: 50 senate you yeah. know that would not be a shock either right that would not be a shock either
1: it could happen no doubt about it but robert that's the kind of thinking that you know you you've inflicted on the wisconsin democratic party <laughs> around, which of course is totally untrue you have nothing to do with the wisconsin democratic party all right Fair. let's play the music All right, hackers. if you have a mailbag question you'd like us to read, send it to our team of yes-men and women at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. Actually, we read them. And uh, if you don't get one on the air, try it again, because we, uh, we, like, we like seeing your questions. And as Robert already plugged... The Hacks on Tap newsletter, full of filthy jokes and cartoons and topics we don't get to uh, (laughs) here on the podcast, is free twice a week by email. You just got to get it through your spam filter. But uh, we have fun doing it. We think you might have fun checking it out. All you got to do to sign up again for free, tragically, is go to hacksontap.bulletin.com, hacksontap.bulletin.com, and See, it comes out most Tuesdays and most Fridays. So for our friend and guest, the great Wit Ayers, question one from Bryant. He writes, after the Kansas vote, wouldn't it make sense for the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, to start now, all caps, getting abortion rights as a referendum or state constitutional amendment on the ballot in every state in the 2024 elections? Wit, what do you think?
0: I think the Democrats could get themselves in a world of hurt if they assumed that the outcome of the Kansas referendum is somehow going to lead to a groundswell of support for constitutional provisions protecting abortion. It's important to understand that the Kansas Constitution had a provision protecting abortion. And the referendum was a referendum to eliminate that and turn over abortion policy to a conservative state legislature. What that allowed the Democrats or the pro-choice side to do is run this not on abortion policy, but on the value of freedom and responsibility for your own actions in a post-COVID world where a lot of people were resisting government mandates on masking and, in some cases, vaccines, as far as private companies go. So they ran it in terms of supporting freedom and your freedom to choose. If you're talking about another referendum, you're going to have to start talking about the specifics of abortion policy, more than likely. And that gets into a real sticky wicket. And as we talked before... If all you're saying is abortion is a protected right under any circumstances whatsoever, that is an unpopular position, as unpopular as abortion should never be allowed under any circumstances. So I think they could get themselves in a real sticky wicket trying to draft a referendum uh, that would, or an amendment to a constitution uh, that would would not get themselves dragged into a specific debate about what circumstances abortion should and should not be allowed.
1: Yeah, it's like the guy who won the lottery and then blew all the money on heroin and was dead two days later. Very expensive funeral. Uh, don't, don't be too clever by half. This is a question for you, Murphy. It comes from Mark. It says,
2: do direction of country polls have any value at all? Are they based on a particular
1: set of questions? If not, what do they tell Oh, that's a great question, Mark. Thank you. So the right track, wrong track question, as we like to uh, call it in this world we're in, basically asks people, do you think things here in the U.S. or the state of Michigan or wherever are going in the right direction, or have they gotten pretty seriously off on the wrong track? That is the classic mood of the voter question. And if you notice, it does not mention a candidate's name, but it gives you an idea of of where the voter dissatisfaction level is, how intense and how mad they are and how much they're hankering for change and it helps you align your campaign. A, a high wrong direction uh, number is pretty scary to incumbents. A high right direction number is incredibly good news to incumbents. So, it is fairly predictive. It's often linked to kitchen table economics and how people think about, you know, the the cost of life and what you earn for working, and what you can afford. It's right now quite wrong track, which is not good news for incumbents and particularly not good news for the sitting president. I would look at it like this. If you've Ever had a large, strange, feral cat come up to you and the tail is in the wrong position and the ears are back, not a good time to pet Mr. Whiskers. You're going to get your fingers bitten off. Those are signals that the body language of a cat or dog and any kind of am- animal will send. The right track, wrong track question is kind of like the voters doing that. It's pretty predictive. I remember uh, one of the first times I was thrown out of the White House uh was in president george w excuse me president h w bush who i proudly worked for uh during the reelect and they had a bunch of us in the room and i was like a junior consultant you know i was trying to figure out how to steal a matchstick or something have a souvenir and the white house political director wonderful guy i won't mention his name but had a uh had a big chart showing the 90 percent approval rating after the gulf war we're gonna sail to re-election can you believe it and we went around the table and a couple of the consultants and w- wit was not there so he's not implicit in this thing um and said oh yeah doing great never seen better fantastic boy oh boy we're geniuses and it came around to me and i was like well jeepers the the wrong track on the economy is like 55 that's going to catch up with us in time and dead silence and all of a sudden the carpet is moving my chair is moving toward the door all by itself and that was I wasn't invited back to one of those but in the end it did catch up that dissatisfaction can wipe out incumbents particularly present so it's an important question and ought to be taken into account not the only one but it is indicative of voter mood
2: Let me ask, can I take a a point of privilege here? And and since we have the great wit heirs here, I've always wondered right now, my guess is if you asked a lot of Democrats if the country was heading in the right direction, they'd probably say, hell no. How do you factor in when you ask that question in a world in which everybody's just mad?
0: You're exactly right, Robert. There is a partisan relationship there where it a party controls the presidency the House and the Senate, they're more likely to say it's going the right direction. But the fact is what you said is correct. A majority of Democrats think the country's going the wrong direction. And increasing proportions of independence and then almost unanimity among Republicans think it's going the wrong direction. So what that tells you is that it's a tough environment for the governing party which is what we've been talking about right. uh, the better part of the podcast uh, you're 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 swimming upstream when that many people including that many people in your party think it's going the wrong direction so it's still a valid question as mike says it's not the only one but it tells you a lot about the mood of the country
1: yeah i mean when even democrats are saying things are on the wrong track it's a sign you're going to have underperformance which is the last thing you want because you want to at least get the votes you ought to get for free. You don't want to spend time and resources doing that, but you have to.
2: My only point of this is, you know, I I think Democrats, I I see your point. I think we could be blaming Republican forces for being on the wrong track, but I I think your answer is right.
1: All right, Gibbs, a questerman from a listener named Westerman. What if before (laughs) the midterm elections, President Biden made a primetime address and announced he wouldn't be running for re-election? Would this help Dems in the midterm elections? Question.
2: Uh, the answer to that is absolutely not. Uh, I'll be honest with you, as a as a good Democrat and the only one currently appearing on this podcast, I think every mention right now of 2024 takes away from the focus and the energy that is needed for Democrats in 2022. All things being equal, I I wish I wish. Democrats would stop talking about it. I wish Democrats would stop thinking about it. I don't think, uh, adding something like that into the equation before the election is going to be helpful or or settling to Democrats. Uh, it's going to get them, uh, distracted and unfocused when we've got to run really, really, really good races. You've heard a very good pollster tell us how bad the environment is. We don't need distractions or surprises. We need focus. Uh, and, if Biden were to do that now, I, I just think that would, I don't think the upside would be there. And I think the downside would be bad.
1: And they don't have to. We do it every week on Hacks on Tap. <laughs> so Wit, thank you so much for joining us.
0: It's my pleasure. Always enjoy it, guys.
1: Always enjoy it.
2: Thank you. And, uh, and again, if you want to speak ill of Georgia, just come on
1: back. We'll have you
0: my lips are sealed oh
1: don't get me started on alabama come on go go wolverines (laughs) all right thanks everybody thank you Robert. all right see you guys boy gibsy always great to have wit on the show he really knows his stuff so smart so smart fbi open up oh man they're back let's run we're out of here